And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the gospel according to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. You know, as we continue our study of the book of Mark, going verse by verse, we're seeing a lot of different things in the life of Jesus and a lot of unique things about the book of Mark. And one of the unique characteristics of the gospel of Mark that sets it aside from Matthew, Luke, and John, the other accounts of Christ's life, is that Mark includes very little long sections of teaching from Jesus. So for instance, Matthew devotes three full chapters on just one sermon of Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. But in the entire book of Mark, there are only two whole chapters that focus on the uninterrupted teaching of Jesus. It's chapter 4 that we'll start this morning and chapter 13 later on in the book. And even when Mark does include these long sections of the teaching of Jesus, something that I find interesting is that Mark isn't just recording the message of Jesus. He's actually teaching us and highlighting for us the method of Jesus' teaching. And so while he's giving us the message of Jesus' teaching, he's really showing us As we observe the life and ministry of Christ, the method of Jesus' teaching. When Jesus taught in this season of his earthly ministry, he taught largely using something that's called parables. And I want you to notice that in Mark chapter 4, Mark is specifically pointing that out. Look at verse 1 of Mark chapter 4. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, that's the Sea of Galilee, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. Now, skip down to the end of this section of parables in verse 33, and notice what Mark says there. With many such parables... He spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Okay, stop right there. So in this one big section of Christ's teaching, what Mark is showing us is that during this phase of Christ's earthly ministry, when he taught, he used parables to teach his followers truths about the kingdom of God. The word parable, you're probably familiar with, but you may not know exactly what it means. It literally means to throw alongside or to cast something alongside another thing. It's a reference of putting two things next to one another for the sake of comparing them. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus so often introduced his parables with phrases like this. The kingdom of heaven is like. It's a comparison. So you learn through a story that compares one thing you're familiar with to another thing that you have yet to learn. And so what Jesus is doing is using everyday things that his followers would have been familiar with, and he's using those things to show them comparable truths about the kingdom of God. And there are a couple of reasons why Jesus would use stories like this. First, parables help reveal truth. Okay, so by using common everyday dynamics to illustrate kingdom truths, what Jesus is doing is he's allowing his followers to quickly learn truths about the kingdom and retain those truths through the word pictures that would have been vivid in their minds as a result. So the comparison allows them to reveal truth more quickly. So imagine with me that you're trying to teach your kids 
what a water buffalo is. Can, can, you, can you tell your children exactly what a water buffalo? How many of you are that familiar with water buffaloes? That you, Lowell Oldholtz can teach all of us what a water buffalo is. But the rest of us are relatively clueless because water buffaloes live in Asia. And most of us didn't grow up seeing them. So if you wanted to teach your little kids about water buffaloes, you would probably start by finding something that they already know about. Now, what's something that they might know about that's like a water buffalo? What would you say? A cow. How about a cow? Yeah, most of you said that, and that's what I wrote down, so let me just go with it. A cow is like a water buffalo. And so you could tell your kids, because they're likely familiar with cows, that that they're like water buffaloes. But then you could teach them even more by telling them, in the comparison, how they're different. Water buffaloes are different than cows. And I'm sure all of you know how water buffaloes are different than cows, but I'll give you just a couple of examples. For water buffaloes, their horns start out growing along their skull, horizontal, before they start sticking out. A cow's horns immediately go out from their skull. That's one of the ways you'll know if a water buffalo is in your backyard today, whether it's a cow or a water buffalo. Water buffaloes are, are larger Their bodies are bigger. They're always black, while cows can be very different colors. We've all seen the guy at Chick-fil-A. Multicolored cows exist. And so you've got all of those different things that would separate a cow from a water buffalo. And here's the deal. It's, It's the comparison, both for and against, that teaches you what something is and what something isn't. So when you go to lunch today and your friends say, so what did your pastor preach on? You can say, what are buffaloes? It was moving. (laughs) I've been working all week on that one. And I'm officially a dad. I am officially a dad now. All right. So I think you get the point. The comparison between two things, something that you're familiar with to introduce something you aren't familiar with, is a tool we all use, and Jesus did too. It reveals truth in a way that you can remember. Now, here's the second reason Jesus used parables. is not only do they help reveal truth, they help conceal truth. That's kind of interesting that he's able to use it as a both and. You see, by embedding the truth inside a story, it's almost like Jesus is able to teach his disciples in public in code. Like the parables become sort of a code that hides from outsiders truths that Jesus is revealing in private to his disciples. And you need to remember what we've seen, and we talked about this last week. There's a growing number of people during this phase in Christ's ministry who are growing more and more opposed to Jesus. They want to destroy Jesus, it says at the end of the last couple of chapters. So they're hearing his teaching, and they're They're listening in a very different way. They're not listening to what Jesus has to say to learn the truth about the kingdom. They're listening to what Jesus has to say by looking for ways to twist and distort his words so that they can destroy him, they can discredit him, they can cause people to stop following him. And Jesus, knowing that those people are in every crowd where he's teaching, 
chooses to employ these stories, these parables, to reveal truth, to show just enough for his followers to learn and for him to explain later, but also to not reveal too much too soon to those who are opposing him. You actually see that in our text. Skip down in Mark chapter 4 and look at verse 10. It says this, When he was alone, those around him... With the 12, we find at the last chapter, we saw that there's a group of people, the 12 disciples and other followers who are following close after Jesus. These people ask him about the parables. And he said to them, to you, it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn And be forgiven. Jesus says right there that the parables are part of a strategy that he had. A strategy certainly to reveal truth. To reveal the secrets of the kingdom to those who are following him. But verse 12 then says that there's a part of this that includes those who are outside of that group. The outsiders, Jesus says. Those who are outside of his kingdom and not willing to come in. And in verse 12 he actually quotes a famous passage from Isaiah chapter 6. And when you go into Isaiah chapter 6, and then when you compare this to Matthew chapter 13, it's Matthew's account of the same uh, instance, what you find is that this text is a reference to people who've hardened their hearts against the truth and have rejected the Lord as their God. Last week we saw that there are some people who are so influenced by the power of Satan that they have hardened their hearts against Jesus in a way that they have so rejected him as the Lord that Jesus says they will never be forgiven. They will never be pardoned because their hearts have been so hardened against the truth of who Jesus says. And Jesus says that for those people who are listening to him with that heart, He is being careful in the way that he teaches the truths about the kingdom. Because his time has not yet come to go to the cross and to be killed and murdered by that same group of people. And he knows that they're just trying to trap him and he's not going to fall into their traps. And so he uses these parables as a way to reveal truth to those who are following him to conceal truth to those who've already rejected him. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at these parables that Jesus shared with his disciples and with us in turn. And that's actually what brings us to the first parable that we find here in Matthew chapter 4. The parable of the sower and the seeds and the soil. Look at verse 3 of Mark chapter 4. Jesus says, listen, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, so this is the first parable that Jesus tells in this ministry season in Galilee. And it's a story about a farmer who goes out one day and starts sowing seeds. Now, my dad had a garden when I was growing up and he gave us very strict instructions on how we would plant our garden. Since I'm from Ohio, 
Ohio, I'm sure you all assume that I'm an accomplished farmer. And I am, of course. We all are from Ohio. No, it was just a a little garden that we had, but Dad had really specific instructions on it. He would till the soil, and then he would make these very straight rows. And along each row, he would direct us to plant specific seeds. And the way we would do that is he would give us a handful of seeds, and we would go down each row, and he would want us to take three kernels of corn and plant them inside a hole that we had dug cover it up with soil, go about 12 to 18 inches further down the row, make another hole, plant those three kernels of cord inside that soil, do so forth and so on until the whole field was sown like that. Um, It was a way to keep five energetic boys very busy during the summer. That's the only reason we had a, a garden. Well, in Jesus' day, They sowed very differently than that. A sower would grab a bag of seed and he would walk out into the field and then indiscriminately he would begin flinging the seeds everywhere that he went. So unlike us where we were digging a a specific hole and planting it in that hole, those seeds would go everywhere, which meant that the seed would begin falling on various kinds of of soil. And the people who were hearing Jesus tell this would have been very familiar with that dynamic, but they still didn't know what Jesus' point was. And so the disciples, after hearing this story, come to him and say, what's the, what's the deal with those parables? What's the point of that story? And then Jesus sits down with them and explains, here's what I mean. Look down at verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So he gives us the explanation here. And when you look at the explanation of Jesus, here's what you find. There are three main components to this story. There's the sower, there's the seed, and there are the soils. But as you look at the details that Jesus gives us about those three components, he gives almost no real detail at all. He says the sower is someone who sows the seed, and the seed is the word. Now, when you go to the Gospel of Luke, and you find his account of this parable. He specifically makes sure we know that the word is a reference to the word of God. And so he says this is a story about the word of God being sown into the lives of people. And that's where the real point of the story begins to emerge. Because the thing that's being compared, that's what a parable is. It's a comparison. The thing that is being compared is the different kinds of soil that receive the word of God. And that becomes the point of what Jesus is saying. He says there are different kinds of responses to the word of God that are based on the condition of each person's heart. 
And so the response of someone to the word of God reveals the condition of that person's heart, what kind of soil they are. As a matter of fact, that is the big idea for this passage of scripture for us this morning. Our response to God's word reveals the condition of our hearts. Our response to God's word reveals the condition of our hearts. Guys, this parable is about something that's happening in you this very minute. You are hearing the word of God. You're hearing the word of God being proclaimed. And there is something happening in you as you hear the word of God. Your heart is like soil. And you are responding in some way today to the word of God. And so there is no more relevant passage of scripture that we could study in a setting like this than the message of Jesus from Mark chapter 4. There is a thing happening in you this very moment and it is eternally significant. You are hearing God's word. You are responding one way or another to God's word. And that is revealing the condition of your heart. And what I want us to do is just look at the four different soils of our heart that Jesus describes and ask this question. What kind of soil are you? Better yet, maybe ask this. What is the condition of your heart before God today? Guys, there's no more important question than that. Let's look at these different types of soil. Number one, Jesus says there's a kind of heart that's described as a hard heart. Look at verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Okay, so in the fields of Galilee, unlike dad's uh, garden in my backyard, there were these paths that would go through the fields where people would be sowing seed. And they were the designated place where you were allowed to walk. And anyone could pass through the field if they used that path. And so because there was a lot of foot track traffic along those paths, the ground got packed down as hard as a rock. And what that meant is when seed would fall along the path, because it was hard as a rock, it would just lay there on the surface until the birds of the air would come down and eat it. And Jesus says, there are hearts that are just like that path. They are hard to the word of God. And Jesus says, for those hearts, there are two noticeable things that occur when they're exposed to the word of God. First, they hear the word of God. Notice, this isn't a parable about people who don't hear the word of God. It's a parable about people who do hear the word of God. So first, they hear the word of God. And then second, they proceed to do nothing with it. Basically, what happens is they hear what God says and they disregard it entirely. And what happens next is that Jesus says, Satan comes as the opposer of Almighty God and his work and word. Satan comes and steals the seed of God's word and it's gone forever from their heart. And friends, you need to know, there is a growing number of people in this world today who respond to God's word just like that. When they hear what the Bible says, their response is basically or effectively this. Who cares 
what the Bible says. And you need to know this. As we get closer to the return of Jesus, the Bible says the world will grow more and more hard and cold toward the things of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that as we get near the return of Christ, terrible times will come. It's encouraging, isn't it? Terrible times are coming, church. We look around the world. It may appear we're heading that direction. Terrible times will come. And what will those terrible times be marked by? It says evil men will grow from bad to worse doing what? Deceiving and being deceived. And then it moves in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy into that passage. Timothy, take heed the word of God because all scripture is given by inspiration, is breathed out by God. Pay attention to the word of God. Don't go the way of this world that will grow more and more hard, more and more cold in rejecting the word of God. And church, that's a warning for us this morning. Our world will only grow more and more opposed to the truth of God's word. Don't be surprised as though God did not tell us that that decline will happen as Jesus returns closer. And here's what I want us to encourage. I want to encourage you to do this morning. Don't assume that that has not begun to influence your own heart. There is a hardness that's contagious. That as we are influenced by a world that rejects the word of God, our hearts, as well the Bible warns, will grow more and more cold if we are not careful. Let me just ask you this. What did you do the last time you heard the word of God? Did you do anything? What changed about your life the last time you encountered the word of God? If you were here last week, you heard the word of God preached. If you come every week, you will hear the word of God preached. We are not ashamed to preach the word of God. The question isn't, did you hear the word of God? In this parable, hard-hearted hearts hear the word of God. The question is, what did you do in response To the word of God. Hard hearts hear God's word and then proceed to do absolutely nothing in response. The second type of soil is not a hard heart, it's a shallow heart. Look at verse 16. It says, These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, look at this, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, notice this, immediately they fall away. Do you see what's happening here? Unlike the hard-hearted people, these type of people, they don't reject the word of God. They actually receive the word of God. It actually says there that they receive it with something. What do they receive it with? They receive it with joy. They like it. These people enjoy hearing the Bible. They actually hear the word of God and they respond with a receptive mind and they actually enjoy what they hear. They're the kind of people who might get into a setting like this, hear somebody say something that they like from the word of God and they may respond by saying, amen. 
Yes, amen, that's good. They have a joy. They listen to the Bible on their car ride to work. They listen to sermons in their podcasts when they're working out or working in the yard. They hear the word of God. They receive the truth with joy. But then something happens, Jesus says. They encounter something that's challenging, something that's hard, something that's difficult. They encounter tribulation. They start to step into what God has for their lives, and they're met with resistance. And the moment resistance comes, they fall away, Jesus says. They have joy. When it gets hard, they bail. I took piano lessons as a kid, all right? That's actually not accurate. I took one piano lesson as a kid, all right? My brother had been taking piano lessons for a while, and I think my mom was like paying for one month at a time. And for some my brother wasn't able to actually finish out one of those months. And so he had one lesson that mom had already paid for that he couldn't attend. And my mom said, Titus, would you like to take over Todd's piano lesson? I'll, I'll let you fill in his slot, and you can... Play piano like Todd did. And of course, when mom said, I'll give you piano lessons, I immediately went into my 10-year-old imaginative self. And I imagined myself in a hall somewhat like this where people were gathered around hearing me play piano, loving me as a result of my great (laughs) piano playing ability. I held the whole room spellbound as I played A song that I really didn't even know on the piano. And I heard about the lessons. I imagined and envisioned what my life would be as the great concert pianist. And I gladly received the piano lessons with joy. It's a great story, isn't it? There's more to the story. Do you know that? I actually had to take the lesson. (laughs) So I went to the lesson. And you need to know this. It was nothing like I imagined, all right? It was awful. It was hard. We didn't learn to play any songs. She just just spent the whole lesson teaching me how I had to hold my hands. I had to hold my hands like this. So I sat at a piano as a 10-year-old boy for 30 minutes with her saying, no, that's too high. And then I would go low. No, that's too low. And then I'd go high. No, that's too high. And she didn't know. A 10-year-old boy back in my day could get beat up if his friends at school knew. He held his hands just like this for 30 minutes. So I sat there holding my hands for 30 minutes and I had a vision of what playing the piano would be like and it got hard day one. And you know what I did? I never went back again. Man, I wish I'd play piano, man. You guys would love it. But I can't because I quit. There was no fruit in my life from the piano lesson because the moment it got hard, you could say I fell away and Jesus says there's a number of people who do that with his word. He says when they hear it, they don't deny it. They don't hate it. They actually like it. They receive God's word, he says, with joy. But he says there's a condition that you can't see that's just under the surface of their hearts. Where when it starts to spring up, life inevitably has problems And it challenges their idea 
of what it would be like to follow Jesus. There are people who sit in this room or rooms like this around the nation and they hear the teaching of God's word and they envision things about their life that will surely come to pass because Jesus is now in their life. And then they have to actually walk out the doors and life hits them in the face and life is hard and it gets hard for them and it's nothing like they envisioned or imagined. It's tribulation, it's persecution, it's hard. And when life gets hard, what do they do? Jesus says, they bail. They fall away. And Jesus says, that's a shallow heart. And there are some in this room who may feel dangerously close to this. Because your life isn't shaping up the way you envisioned at the start. When you heard about Christ or you heard about Christianity or heard a truth about the gospel, you got ready to head from Sunday to Monday and live out the vision of your dream. It was going to be the easygoing, carefree solution to all of your problems. And then life got hard and you got tempted to bail. And Jesus to us this morning says, beware of having a shallow heart. So he says there's a hard heart, there's a shallow heart. He moves on and number three, he says there's a distracted heart. Look at verse 18. He says, others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And look at this. And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Church, I think this type of heart is the one that's really the greatest threat to people like us. You see, most of us come here every week, and if you come here every week, here's what you know. You're going to hear a guy stand up and teach the Bible for 30 to 45 minutes every single week, and you keep showing up, and it may be because you keep liking to learn about the Bible. And I don't know if that sentence is grammatically correct, but it's how some of us feel. But then that verse 19 says there's a dangerous thing that can happen for a person like that. That they like and want and desire the truth of God's word, but once they get outside this world, he says, and its desires for other things creep in like weeds, like thorns that grow up over time and begin to choke out the word. For instance, you hear the word of God each morning, maybe in devotion, but then as soon as you're done or before you're done, your mind begins to wonder and you begin to think, will the Cleveland Browns actually be good this year? I wonder, I hope. Hope's a dangerous thing, friends, and so are the Cleveland Browns, and so the favorite football team come into your mind, or or you see, as soon as you're done reading the scriptures, or you walk outside, it's a beautiful day to go to the beach, or you remember a television show that you want to watch, or a game you want to play with your family, or you get on Amazon, and you scroll through to see some things you'd like to have, or you get up tomorrow morning for work, and you head off to earn some money, and your mind moves on to your job. The cares of this world, Jesus says, distract us from the truths of God's word in a way that we begin to give greater care and attention to the stuff of this world than the word of our God. And when that happens, Jesus says, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in, and ever so slightly and subtly, they begin to choke out the word So that over time, it proves to be unfruitful. 
Let me just give you something to consider, and I won't belabor this point. But the average American spends somewhere between three and four hours on their phone every day. And less than 20% of people who attend a church like this on a regular basis read their Bible on any given day. And you aren't a statistic. You're a person. So personalize that. How much time each day do you spend on your phone? How much time do you spend each day in front of a television or sports or hobbies or finances or the pursuit of pleasure and leisure? And listen, I'm not saying any of those things are evil. They're not. Not in and of themselves. But the question is this. Could it be possible that ever so subtly without you realizing it or wanting it necessarily, those things are choking out the word of God in your life? Is it possible that those things are keeping you from seeking the voice of God in his word? Jesus says, beware of having A distracted heart. And then he comes to the fourth kind of soil. It's a fruitful heart. Look at verse 20. He says, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Guys, the final type of heart is one that encounters the word of God and as Jesus says here, and accepts it. And accepts it. They believe it, they receive it, they accept it. Now that word accept is an interesting word. It means to acknowledge that something is correct or right or true. Now that's something that we probably would uh, kind of uh, envision already on our own. But there's another more subtle meaning to that word. That was a word that was used in the ancient world to describe accepting or receiving someone. So so it was used specifically in certain events when a spouse would leave their husband or wife and go off and be unfaithful. Sometimes that person would want to come home, would want to return to their life. And that spouse that had been left and had been sinned against, that spouse would have to make a decision. Would they reject the returning spouse or would they embrace the returning spouse. And if they embraced their spouse who returned with the commitment, we'll live the rest of our lives together, united again to one another. They used that word, accept. It means to embrace in a way that you'll live the rest of your life committed to one another. And that's the word that Jesus chooses to describe how a fertile heart responds to the word of God. It's a heart that says, for the rest of my life, for the rest of my life, I want God's word to live in me. And I want to live according to God's word. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Bible. Thank you. It's that heart. Since for the rest of my life, it's already settled. Here's what that means. Here's what that looks like. 
When you're choosing what you'll do today, tomorrow, for the rest of your life, the one thing that isn't on the table is will you do it according to God's word? That's settled in this heart that says the one thing we will do as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and live according to his word. When we decide how we're going to raise our children, how we're going to do discipline in our home. Well, we may read other books or resources about how to parent kids. The one resource we will not neglect is we will ask this question. What does God say in his word, the Bible? It is our authority, our rule, our God. We live on the word of God. Jesus says that kind of heart is the heart that says for the rest of my life, it is settled. I will live according to the word of God. Is that your heart? Because when it is, Jesus says something amazing. He says that that word accepted that way does what? It bears fruit. And notice what he says about the fruit. He says 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Now, that would have gotten the attention of the people who heard him. Because in the first century, there were not any of our modern farming methods. Here's what that meant. It meant that if you were sowing seeds, you would expect or hope that you might get seven or eight times in harvest what you had sowed in sowing. So if you planted one kernel of corn, you'd want to get seven or eight kernels of corn in the harvest. Seven or eight was as much as you could hope. Ten was an historic crop. And Jesus says that the work that the word does bears fruit in a way that blows that kind of yield out of the water. Not seven, not eight, not 10, but 30, 60, 100 fold. Jesus says something exponentially greater than you could imagine. As a matter of fact, what his hearers would have heard when he said 30, 60, 100 fold is they would have thought that's impossible. You don't get that kind of yield in first century Palestine. Seven, eight, maybe ten. But no one, no one can get 30, 60, 100 fold. It would be miraculous to get that. And that's what Jesus is saying. That when you embrace the word of God in a way that you say, as for me and my house for the rest of our lives, we will live according to the word of God. We will accept it, embrace it, obey it, believe it. Jesus says something happens over time. It's a miraculous harvest that you will receive. The word of God produces miraculous fruit in the lives of those who will truly receive it. And some of you come to this place and you know you need a miraculous work in your life. You need a miraculous work to become the kind of husband or wife that Jesus is calling you to be. You need a miraculous work to resist the sin that easily entangles you. You need a miraculous work to love God and others. You need a miraculous work to give those who've sinned, to forgive those who've sinned against you. You need the kind of fruit that you can't produce on your own. You know what you need? You need Jesus And Jesus comes to live in those who respond to the word of Christ 
through faith by receiving and accepting him. Jesus is the center of the scriptures. Jesus is the scarlet thread that runs cover to cover. Jesus and his gospel is the point of the Bible. And so to receive the word of God is to receive through faith the person of Jesus who's revealed in the word of God. And when you receive Jesus through faith in his word, you know what happens? A miracle. Over time, the word of God through the life of Christ in you produces fruit you can't produce on your own. And that's what brings us to the Lord's Supper this morning.